Say it. What the fuck are we doing with our lives? Yeah. We're recording a podcast, clearly. That's about a show, about a half hour comedy on Fox that we both enjoy too much. That is, the podcast was longer than the show. Okay. Almost, almost every episode, yes. Welcome to Back in the Field. I'm Carl. My name is Arthi, and today we're here to talk about the Pontiac Bandit. This is episode 12 of the show, not episode 12 of the podcast. We jumped over that hurdle. Correct. We are only on episode 11 of this podcast. Well, actually, before we lay into this, I want to tell a story about something cool that happened to me last night. Oh. Yeah. Lay in. Yeah. Okay. So last night, I this weekend that we're recording this is... The last weekend in June, so you guys are going to enjoy listening to this at the end of July, but this weekend is the Del Close Marathon, um, which is a big improv comedy festival hosted here in New York by the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and what that means is that there's improv comedy basically in every major... Every venue? Thank you! Every venue that hosts comedy in New York. And anyway, long story short, I went to a really cool show last night called Doppelganger, which is the improv crew that is Keisha Zoller... Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda. Um, Keisha Zoller, you might know from, she did a really great guest spot on Orange is the New Black, and she's like someone in the airport, I believe. Oh, you mean the first episode of the second season? Yeah. Um, Nicole Byer, who many of you might know from Girl Code on MTV, and the last is Sashir Zameda, and she's obviously a featured player on Saturday Night Live. And so it was actually really cool because I've actually met all of them before. Uh, I met them last August, and so I met them again. And um, I got a chance to talk to Sashir Zameda, and we talked a little bit about the Saturday Night Live season finale. And it was really cool because she was telling me a little bit about how, like, because Andy Samberg did the season finale for SNL. And I I asked, I was like, hey, did he do the write-in and everything with you guys, too? And she said he did, actually. And it was really cool because apparently he just, like, fell right back into it. And it was really fun. And everyone really had a good time. It didn't feel like a guest. It felt like just, you know, another cast member. It was just kind of nice to hear a little bit about, like, sort of the inside scoop on, on that show. And, like, hear that he's a pretty cool dude in general. I don't know. I like stuff like that. And I thought I'd share the story with our listeners because... You know, I'm pretty fortunate in that, like, I enjoy comedy and that I know how to talk to people. I get a certain amount of access to people that a lot of people don't. So I'm willing to sort of share that with with our audience. Thumbs up. (laughs) I have nothing to add to this. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, I'm sure we'll have more coming out of Del Close Marathon in general for you guys to hear about, but I just wanted to share my story. Yeah! So I'm going to sum up what happens in the plot really quickly so we can get on to trashing it. <laughs> I think trashing is a little uh, a little intense, don't you think? You have written down in the notes, Arthi trashes this in an unending rant. What? <laughs> that is not true. It's paraphrased. Stop slandering me. No. So what happens is, in the A plot, Rosa brings in a criminal named Doug Judy, who she's been chasing for a few months. He has a message for something or Jack Peralta, which Jake decides is his new name. John. John John, or Jack Peralta. John or Jack Peralta or something. And he basically implies that he knows how to find a criminal who's been chopping up Pontiacs. Now, this is the this criminal Jake's been chasing for years and years and years. Eight years, specifically. Eight years. Who he's dubbed the Pontiac Bandit. So he convinces Rosa to team up with him to work with Doug Judy to find and catch the Pontiac Bandit. And transparently, it's a trap. Doug Judy was always a Pontiac Bandit, and he escapes, while 
being sexist and driving an annoying-looking car. Anyway, over in the B-plot, Boyle is back from his stay in the hospital. As you may recall, in a previous episode, he got shot in the butt twice with bullets. Now he's back in the 9-9, ready to go back to not-quite-normal police work. He's on a scooter. Everyone has to take care of him. They find it very annoying because they find Charles very annoying. And eventually all of them end up hiding from him. Mm-hmm. Over in the C-plot, Holt has some puppies. And puppies. it's glorious. It's glorious. Puppies. But that's for a later point. Yes. So I actually really dislike this episode. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if Emmy time is maybe Carl's least favorite episode, this one is mine. Yeah, I I have trouble with this. Like, I don't think either Emmy time or this episode are worse than Broken Feather. But I don't think I dislike Broken Feather more than I dislike Emmy time. And I don't think that you dislike Broken Feather more than you dislike the Pontiac Bandit. Although I think you would agree with me that uh, Broken Feather is the worst crafted episode. Broken Feather is definitely put together sloppy. Yeah, it's, it's poorly written, most of all. Neither of those episodes are as poorly written. The problem with this episode is that it, it has as its heart this reveal that Doug Judy is the Pontiac Bandit. And at no point is that hard to determine. <laughs> this is a really easy mystery to solve. And the fact that it takes them so long to solve it makes us question how smart they are. <laughs> you know what? And that's that's exactly what I wanted to. So I took notes. And in my notes, I've been pretty upfront with Carl like the entire time. Like that we when we were coming up to the episode that it's not my fave. And it took me a long time to really be able to articulate why. And it wasn't until I watched it for this podcast that I just kind of realized that it feels like... It we are consistently told that Jake is always paying attention. And and that's like his primary characteristic. There's a great piece of meta on Tumblr about it too. How like that's that's Jake's primary thing. Like we see it even from like the literal first thirty seconds of the pilot when Yeah, when he got in there and immediately figured out the situation. Yeah, exactly. But from the last couple minutes of the pilot we also see that he's consistently missing a lot. Like we see all the hints that Captain Holt was gay, which was not a secret. No. It was very obvious there was a newspaper article, and he saw all the things. But he's very willing to blind himself when things don't match his preconceptions. Yeah, and and his assumption here is that Bill, the hairdresser, is the Pontiac Bandit. So Doug Judy is immediately out, written out as a possible candidate for the banditry. Well, I'd go a little further. His assumption here is that he's been doing good police work for the last few years and that he's been prying this information out of the perps he's brought in. Right. I think that's what kills me is that we've been seeing Jake doing better police work and then, like, in this episode, we just, just all of that is gone. And, like, we've done segments before of Jake is the worst and we did a section where we talked about how Jake is the worst detective in ME time. And he definitely proves himself to be the worst detective in this episode. And even more than that, actually, there's a good number of parallels to Emmy time. Because Rose is technically the primary on this case, not Jake. Yeah. And and he basically stomps all over her consistently until she, like, forcibly, like, is like, fuck this. And just is like, everyone go in now. Like, she pulls the plug over his objections because he's been objecting over her the entire episode. Maybe that's one of the problems I have with the establishment of their relationship here. Oh? So, is it Rosa or Amy who tells Boyle that Jake's the worst primary? It's Amy, Amy. right? Amy tells him. But Rosa's the one who's watching him and 
knowing what he's going to do and trying to fight back on Boyle's behalf. Clearly this has happened to her before. This episode tries to establish that Jake and Rosa have this long history together. They were at the academy together. They have a code of trust, the Thousand Push-Ups code. But Jake professes to know so little about her that that sounds unrealistic. And the fact that he doesn't actually show any respect for her choices throughout this episode makes that even more questionable. You can't establish a precedent and expect us to buy it when you immediately break it. Yeah, we've talked offline, offline, off air about how... I I am kind of cheating here by trying to get your hate of the episode to win me an argument we've been having. Wait, what do you mean? Well, like, you buy into Rose and Jake more than I do, I think. Yeah, I definitely, because I, I was about to say, like, there's there's not, it's not hard to fan-wank that out. And, and I mean, like, so look, the police academy, at least for the New York Police Department, is six months of training. You take a test to get in, you take a test to get out. And it's pretty, pre- made pretty clear by the show, I think, that Jake got promoted to detective quite fast. Yeah. Because he's been a detective for, for eight years, and he's been living in his grandmother's apartment since he was 18. Most people who join the police academy are usually like either fresh out of high school or fresh out of college. Right. Um, There's no way he went to college. Yeah, we've talked about how Jake is intelligent, but he's not educated. Yeah. That that said though, like traditionally, you you have you most people are like a beat cop for about four years before they bump up to detective. And Jake has talked about being a beat cop, but he would have been a terrible beat cop. He has trouble with authority. He has trouble with procedure. He's too smart and too wild to be a good beat cop. That gets rewarded though. Does it? In the weirdly, it gets rewarded. Chance. No, only to to an extent. Sure. Like he, if if he was smart enough to play the system enough to get to the detective spot that he deserved or knew that he would be better in, chances are he would have. He would have. Well, he did. Yeah, obviously. I don't mean that he would be doing bad police work while he was a beat cop. I just mean that he's incredibly unsuited for that position. Oh, he's totally. You're totally right. Chances are he got promoted very fast because chances are he was actively helping the detectives and helpering as i like to say yeah and so in doing basically he was doing what sean spencer was doing before sean started that psych he's just like oh you guys missed all this stuff yeah basically and like and oh he is like sean spencer the the parallel is increasingly apt but goes in a good direction i watched a lot of psych and sean spencer is not an okay person no no he never gets any better no, but Jake does. Yeah, yeah. So it goes in a better direction than Psych does. But what I was going to say was chances are, like, the detectives notice that he's a good beat cop. Like, much smarter. Unlike unlike Rosa being like, if you're going to fill it out in crayon, you should have the children's detective set. <laughs> the opposite of that is probably what happened to Jake. And he got pushed into being a detective much faster. But he's also clearly been, like, a detective third grade for over eight years. So... He's been he's he's in the right job, but not doing it well. Yeah, or rather, doing it well enough. I wanted to. What I was gonna say was, Jake was clearly a beat cop for a while, and then he immediately went into being on the detective squad. But it doesn't look like Rosa had that trajectory in her career. It looks like Rosa came in later, and chances are she you came mean to the nine nine or as a detective. Both. Okay. Because I don't. I don't. Rosa would have been a good beat cop. Rosa probably was a great beat cop, and I actually... Which is probably why she had so much distaste for that guy later, but we'll get to that Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. I also suspect she did a stint in Vice for a while. A lot of detectives come in through Vice. That's pretty common. 
it's not hard to like imagine that it works out but also like the average human isn't as into police stuff as i am Hmm. so like i don't know how there's clearly someone on the staff who's like yeah police things yeah because enough of the math adds up correctly that i'm like okay somebody's clearly paying attention to these details but at the same time probably their continuity editor no, continuity editor is actually just for continuity oh, from okay. shot to shot. Well, there's someone whose job this is. Theoretically, right? it's the head writer or the showrunner or their consulting producer. It, it, anyway, it's not hard to believe that Jake and Rosa have known each other 12, 15 years and have him still not know her very well. They could have been keeping contact without having been like in the same squad, in the same team, or even really in same similar functional roles. I don't think either of them are very good at keeping contact with someone who's not in front of them. Well, we don't know. We don't. We, we know exactly. We don't, we don't know, but like. Well, we know exactly zero things about Rose's personal life. True. For all we know, she keeps contact with all of her academy buddies. I mean, you know that in this episode she says, "I love meeting new people. That's my jam." Right. <laughs> all sarcastic, like. Yeah. Sure, but when you're trapped with six with people for six months, it's it's. Hard to op- not to open up to them for Rosa Diaz? I said it's hard not to think... Grow close to them or something? Well, you learn about people regardless of whether or not you want to. And mm. Jake is definitely an oversharer. He told Amy about pineapples. So. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so, it's very possible a lot of people think they know Jake Peralta just because he tends to share about too much about himself. Let's get back to your point. Well, I just think that there are a lot of situations in which it can be true... That he's known her for years in very close situations and knows nothing about her. But they need to show their work. They're making the fans figure out why that would be true. And in the meantime, it's going to look like a plot hole. That's true. For the average person who, like... I mean, the average person isn't thinking about this. No. But even even the slightly more casual fan who doesn't know a lot about police stuff is going to be like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not even a police thing. That's just a personal thing. You know, their coworkers, you know three things about them really true i know more than three things about like our summer intern that's fair i guess i guess at the same time i think about like i lost track of all these people that i that i spent years and years with in high school sure, sure. or like just the two or three years in high school and then like now i have to deal with them like i know them again because they were in new york with me and it's like hey we should hang out so do we want to talk about how jake got manipulated or do we want to talk about how doug judy's the worst both okay can't so we talk they kind of go hand in hand i think we can kind of wrap up the manipulation and segue in like the thing is Doug Judy laid a really good trap for Jake he did he figured that he was being chased by some really eager guy he apparently knew that it was Jake somehow so he started feeding him more information to help him build a case because if Jake Peralta works out something himself he's going to believe it forever right like if he thinks that he's solved it he's never going to let go so if you let him solve it wrong, then you're safe, basically. Then you just rely on his friend-making ability, and it's easy to make him do anything you want. And Doug Judy makes him do everything he wants this episode. At no step is Jake in control of his actions. And Doug Judy uses this to humiliate him and Rosa nonstop, which is what makes him really, really frustrating. Yeah, I think it's definitely, like, seeing Rosa become more frustrated and just watching Jake, like, step into my parlor, set the spider to the fly. Also, like, way to go, Jake, perpetuating a situation where she has to deal with a criminal who's been, like, flirting with her nonstop. 
Yeah. Thanks, Jake. Yeah. Good bond of trust there, asshole. There's a lot that comes. I feel like this is this and Emmy time parallel a lot, and and in the kind of the ways that like make us both like unhappy. Not, I'm, I want Jake to be good to his friends. I want Jake. He's to, good at it. I want Jake to like be good at his job in the way he thinks he is. I mean, obviously, I want the friendship thing too. They're yeah. not mutually exclusive. I mean, I, I also want that. Like, we want Jake to be good at the things he's good at rather than bad at them. Yeah. And he can be really bad at all the things he's really good at. I also feel like we've moved past the point in the show already where it's like seeing Jake screwing up because... So that's the thing. We're right before the bet. Mm. This is the point at which after the bet everything's going to change. Mm. His understanding of his place in the detective squad is going to change. Yeah. So this is a good time to get this in, actually. Yeah. I can see that. I was I had my notes actually that at the end, like seeing him making up to Rosa what he did wrong, this is like probably one of the earliest moments we get of like stuff that happens later. It's a good small piece of like he he works to make it up to her and he apologizes to her in a meaningful and sincere way. And then he does he does the thing that he knows will make her regain the trust that she had in him. Yeah. I guess, so, Dr. Judy proves me wrong about the show's, like, big villains, in that he's the only big villain who's a criminal. Like, the only villain that we think is going to come back. Right? Podolsky, the Vulture, they're cops. Brogan is someone who works with cops. But he's a villain who's actually a criminal, who they want to put in jail. And he's on the lam, you're right. Yeah. I'm skeptical about Jake's ability to work in a useful partnership with Rosa to catch him, though. Like, Doug Judy's too good at playing him. He would need to give Rosa actual control. We are actually going to also probably see more of the squad get involved with that. Yeah. There's there's no reason not to. And I think, like, Holt, Holt being part of that would be interesting. We've seen Holt in, actively mentor both Jake and Rosa, so having the three of them go after Doug Judy would actually be really interesting, in my opinion. I feel like Holt is strong against Doug Judy, Pokemon-wise. <laughs> Let's get off this plot. Yeah, all right. Let's talk about B and C. Yeah, I think we've talked about this too much. Uh, so the the B, B and C plots involve puppies. The main thing about the B and C plot is that Boyle's back and he's a nuisance. He's he's a nuisance because he's needy, I guess. And, and he does actually need help. Right. But he, like, is trying to act like he needs less help than he actually needs. It's an overall problem where it's like he... He's playing like he doesn't need help, and then it ends up creating people having to deal with helping him more than they needed to originally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with I'm with Gina. In the stinger, he takes the coffee with the grabby thingy. And, and, she, like, and she says, and then he tries to drink it. She says, why don't you just use your other hand? Yeah. Gina, Gina gets Boyle. Like, she gets his problems. She understands him. All right, we're going to segue into the Gina Boyle shipping watch. Ship watch. It all happens in the stinger here. Yeah. Well, I mean... No, a big pun- portion of it happens in the stinger here. Yeah, I mean, in the stinger, she's, like, watching him fail ridiculously <laughs> and obviously enjoying it because she's Gina. And she loves failure. But, like, first she loudly points out the ways that he's being overproud in, you know, a non-directed, non-harmful way. And then when he spills coffee in his cast, he just pours milk in there. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's a cold thing. Yeah. Nonchalant. <laughs> she doesn't make it a big thing. No. She doesn't even ask. Everyone else is like, can we I, help you? If, if, if 
she'd asked, he would have tried to grab the milk himself. And then made it worse. Yeah. She just did the thing. Yeah. And you could tell that he was grateful. Yeah. I think this is the first episode in a while that we've seen Boyle really live up to his pilot descriptor of he's not very physically gifted. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, He does break a lot of things. And a lot of really oogie things happen. Yeah. God, I'm sorry. Just like his expression when he feels Amy's grandmother's ring. (laughs) I'm making the end of the episode Jake Peralta face. (laughs) Seriously, though, I... If we're going to do Shipwatch, let's do this all the way. He does PT with Gina... And she's, it's pedal, 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 push, push. I'm sorry, that's overtly sexual. Yeah, it is. And he's in the, he's... In the prone position? Yeah, I mean, she's the one pushing, right? Yeah. Uh, If we're going to talk about how their relationship would look like... (laughs) It's not going to look like that. No. What I said said before the episode was that in, in a way their progression is learning how to flirt with each other at the same time. Yes. And as a sidebar... The slap fight that Jake and Rosa get into at the beginning, mm-hmm. I think that's how their relationship would actually go. It would be a living disaster. Yeah. Also, I, mean, also I think would... the way she responds to him asking if he should change his name to Jack is my is one of my favorite moments in the episode. We didn't talk about Mangy Carl. We'll come back but... to all this. Okay. Yeah. Things we liked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so Gina's paddling Boyle. And she and he says he feels like Lance Armstrong, and she asks him if that means he has only one testicle. He's like, wouldn't you like to know? And he winks at her! Yeah, and like, that's not the right timing, bro. No! No! There have been better timings, and there will be better timings. You miss a lot of those, but... <laughs> it's a nice, like... He winks at Vivian, too, where he's like, I'm single! Sad thing to wink about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he said there's no one in his life. <sighs> Poor Boyle. Boyle's Boyle's level of pathetic gets played up and down. And I'm not sure whether I like it being played up or if I... Well, I mean, it gets played up or down based on his life situation getting better or worse. That's true. His life situation fluctuates wildly in this season. Like, for a lot of the season, he's a dude who mostly has enough stuff going on. He's Mm -hmm. got a full life. He's got, like, a pizza email blast. Yes. Which is very well regarded. Like, he's doing well for himself as a foodie. We know that he visits museums and things, but, like, right now, he's on a scooter. This is a temporary thing that he's not adjusting well to. Mm -mm. He's trying to go back to work when he can't. He's a field detective. He can barely do paperwork. Yeah, he's forced to constantly be kneeling. He can't even sit properly. Yeah. But those moments are, like... Blink and you'll miss them, because she spends most of the episode literally hiding from him in a place that he cannot reach. And live-tweeting about it. P.S. people who, like, <laughs> complain about other, uh, things that other people might be involved with on Twitter. The thing about Twitter is that when you tweet, everyone can read it. That's literally the only thing about Twitter. Unless you protect your tweets, but even then. Yeah. Yeah. I know people who do that. I don't really understand it, but I know people who do it. So, while most of the people are just completely disrespecting Boyle, he and Holt actually get a good moment here. This is the closest we get to a Holt-Boyle episode. Excellent segue. Also the one I was going to try for. Now we have to cut this out. I'll cut it out. Okay. I'm the one who's doing all the editing. Okay. Um, 
so like I loved watching Holt and Boyle interact. We almost never have seen them interact before. And in, in the next episode, we'll actually see Boyle say to Holt, "I think you don't respect me." I, I worry sometimes you don't find me interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I actually I just love that like Holt is consistent. Like all of you, shut up and be nice to him. I love that. Like he, he just goes in and is like, "This is not hard." You babies. Yes. You just have to be nice to an officer who got shot in the line of duty. Yes. And more importantly, this is consistent. We see this in the next episode as well, where Holt's like... Actively trying to triage the situation with Sergeant uh, Peanut Butter. Yes. Where, and like he's like, and his Medal of Valor. He puts a lot of gravitas on the, word, on the words Medal of Valor. Like, at no point does Holt ever... I don't think we ever see Holt... Uh, diminish Charles's contribution or is except that he does have to point out that Sergeant Peanut Butter is being feted by the United Nations. Holt is truthful, not <laughs> not disparaging. He I will th- not allow a lie of by omission. Yeah, he, he Holt is not about that life. We see him actively open mouth, insert foot because of this characteristic in the rest of the bed. We'll, we'll talk about this soon. Yes, in about forty minutes. In this situation, I think what's really striking is that. Boyle is okay seeming really pathetic to Holt. I think because he already doesn't believe that Holt respects him. Yeah. And in fact, Holt sees that and rewards him for it. He's, it's very easy to tell what Boyle needs. And Holt's a problem solver. Yeah. I think one of the moments that I really noted, and I didn't put it in my notes, but I like kind of felt it, was when Holt says to, right before Boyle runs over his foot, Holt's speech there about Boyle, about being like, he, you know, we're really proud of you. We're glad you did what you did. Your service is regarded. And, you know, we appreciate what you've done for for the precinct and for your fellow comrades in arms. If you look at Boyle's face, it's this sort of like, it's like surprise, but also like, like grateful. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's like such a small thing. And we hardly, we don't linger on Boyle's face in that scene very much. It's like he didn't expect anything and that's the most he could have wanted and he got it. Yes, exactly. And especially because like, as an aside, like, I don't know how much they're putting into this, but like, I was just talking about this with some of my coworkers. Like, sometimes when you do like the right work and you're often like the best like supporting guy, you don't get a lot of like attention and reward for that. Because you're just handling problems so that no one notices them. Exactly. When everything works right, and you're doing your job well when you're a supportive team player, it's hard to see your contribution, like, actively shining. So, like, before I had the position that I have now at Tor.com, where I work, I've now linked from Tor.com to this podcast, so I can say this. Uh, Before I had this job, I was doing website maintenance stuff, and that's a really thankless task. It takes a really good person administrative or you know managerial perspective to notice even when someone is doing their best work in something like that and you know thanking them eventually yeah because most of the job of website maintenance is piling more stuff on whoever can handle it yeah so i'm i'm very thankful for for the people above me there yeah, I mean, at my at my last job, I was I was handling like support tickets as well as like you know fielding uh, user questions and and ma- making processes for active requests that we the company would receive. And when I left, I got a couple of emails that were like we didn't realize how much you managed. Like it was not it wasn't clear to us. Like that's that's incredible. And like I'm I was the one who was doing a lot of really. Like, a lot of small things that added up to a big thing. And so, like, 
I think it's important and a great of the show, if whether conscious or unconscious. Maybe it is unconscious because I feel like writers often feel like their their work is invisible because it's not being said by them. But it is nice to see that like Charles is consistently characterized as a grinder type of cop. That means he does a lot of small things that make big things happen without it necessarily being flashy. And we know that Terry and Holt not only respect that, but recognize it, maybe not always in front of the entire squad. I wish we'd seen his performance review. Yes, I do too, actually. And I and I'm, I, I kind of hope eventually we will. Because we see all the flashy detectives. Yeah. But we don't see... We, the flashy good and the flashy bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I know this is like a weird segue, but it's just like... Or sidebar, I guess. But I guess for both of us, like having been that invisible worker, I really related to Boyle in that moment. And I didn't realize how much I related to him until I like really was paying attention. I didn't notice that the last time I watched either, but yeah, it's really, it's an important thing. Yeah. This B-plot is one of my faves. I think we've earned the chance to talk about puppies now, though. Let's talk about puppies. They're so cute! I loved everything. I just love that, like, I'm glad Amy pointed out that, like, that him sternly, like, giving them a dressing down while holding two adorable half-corgi puppies. Really detracts from his gravitas. Yes, exactly. Everything about it. He tries so hard to be himself while holding these adorable... They're like... What? Corgi dachshund mix? I don't think... They're not dachshunds. They're, they're, their faces aren't right. They're like... They're something with floppy ears. Anyway, they're really, really, really cute. We know Cheddar's a corgi. We know che- Cheddar's a corgi. I think they might be like German Shepherds or something. No, no I think... Maybe Black Labs? No, the coloring is wrong. They They look like... You should write in and tell us what kind of puppies they were. Please tell us what kind of puppies they anyway, were. Anyway, <laughs> he, he tries to introduce them as not puppies because you can't sound dignified. It, I didn't realize this until just now. It's a, it's a slow collapse of his dignity throughout the episode. He starts out, he's like, my dog. My husband's dog, Cheddar. It's not even his dog. It's his husband's dog, Cheddar, which is why it's named Cheddar. Had relations with our neighbor's dog, Karate. <laughs> And, and produce these, these two, two smaller, smaller dogs. dogs. <laughs> so official, so stern. He says that to Amy yeah. as well. I think that's also like nice to note. Like it, and from there with uh, then he with, with Jeffords, he introduces them as Richard and Dan, and admits that they are puppies. But it's also like as much as it is like the collapse of his dignity, it's also like a small demarcator of the difference in their relationships. He and Terry have a much more. They've been. They've I mean, known each other for a lot longer. He, they they have, but he. Jeffords is much more formal with him. Yeah. Because Jeffords actually understands his job. And respects the chain of command. Yeah. Whereas Amy will always make a misstep, in, just in case it will earn her his respect. Her even fa- even holding a deadly pair of dogs. Her amazing, like fake sneezing. Like, deserves, like, a mention there. Because I've tried to fake sneezes before. Emmy from Beth Sneeze. <laughs> also, like, actual Melissa Fumero was like, I loved those dogs. <laughs> and, like, she posted Instagram pictures and they were so cute. Oh, my God. And then at the end he just, you know, admits that there's no dignity there. So he has to give them away finally to boil. Why haven't we seen them again? Are the know. dogs lost? Maybe his ex-wife's new boyfriend... Made him get rid of them. No, he's a very nice landlord. Oh, yeah. He no. says that in the next episode. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's no way he would say that if if he, he made, he made them, them give the dogs back. It's true. 
I hope that the dogs are still there because those dogs are awesome. Yeah. They're cute as fuck. Mm-hmm. They're so fucking cute. I wonder if the whole set was just like a mess of like, ah, the entire time they were there. <laughs> and and Jake and Rosa aren't there, so they don't get to play with the dogs. Yes. Or I guess Andy and, and Andy Samberg and, and Stephanie Beatrice are just like, because their scenes are all away I mean, from the precinct. Andy is an executive producer, so he definitely got... He got puppy time. <laughs> he got puppy time. <laughs> I love that. I like that. I'm an EP, so I definitely get dog time. I will relieve you of this dog. Ah, I am mad <laughs> with power. Brandish's puppy. <laughs> oh, God. That must have to be real. Somebody write that RPF, please. Okay. Um, puppies. We puppies were the puppies were the best part of this mm-hmm. episode, hands down. I also really like the way Jake and Rose interact right at the beginning. And I at the love very end. Jack Peralta Crocodile Hunter. And her response is just Yep. Yeah. I like it much better than John Peralta. He also yep. does go by Jack Tractive later <laughs> in the series. Well, that's 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 just a mistake that he made. <laughs> I'm Jack Tractive kind of a problem that I can quote the show that well. And the last thing that we liked was uh, Andy Sandberg's push-up form. Yes. I could talk about that for a long time. I've read the fic about him just getting objectified while doing push-ups. I'm 100% okay with this. I was sitting there while my cousin and I were watching this episode a million years ago and I remember just being like, oh, push-ups. Like I made I kind of I made it I made an obscene noise and she's like what is wrong with you? They're very well executed. They're but his perfect. strategy is awful. Mm. He has to do a thousand of these things and whenever he can't go anymore, he just stays in upright push-up position. But he's, he doesn't sit down. But he's not uh, do do we really want to do this? He at least but he seemed even though he's up, he's like moving into cobra pose, so yeah. is, he's relaxing the important part. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. He's relaxing the core. Mhm. Yeah. Anyway, he couldn't do a thousand push-ups. He certainly can't do two thousand. Well, he's not that far away from doing. He might. We don't see him not finish the thousand push-ups. I know, but like he's stalled at nine hundred and one, and clearly has been for a long time because Holt has to remind him. And Holt got in at least ten minutes before Rosa. <laughs> Fair enough. Those push-ups. No, I'm sure were... he finished a thousand. I don't think he had to do two thousand. They they were picture perfect push-ups. They really were. I don't think he had to do 2,000 either because she ended up reneging on the deal that would have made him do 2,000. Do you know what I mean? Where she didn't trust him anymore. So when he raised the stakes, she's like, no. And she ended up pushing past him. Yeah. Yeah. But didn't she say at the end that he said 2,000? She does point out that he said 2,000, but I don't think she would have made him do the extra 1,000. Well, I guess since he still has arms in the next episode, you're probably right. We don't know how long hap- ha- we don't know how long happened between. We don't. Oh, that's another line I like. What Boyle asks of everyone once he gets back is, "Tell me everything funny that happened," which is such a pathetic thing to ask of anyone. Like, let me in on all the in jokes that happened when a they're not going to be funny to him, and b there weren't any episodes between the last two episodes, so nothing funny happened. Clearly not. No. <laughs> Although, Scully and Hitchcock did grow closer together. God, I love that, like, Hitchcock says that, and Scully's like, yup. He just nods. (laughs) The best, best ship. Oh, God. Oh, God. Don't, don't say it. You should go before I say it. Yes. All right. So, from all of us to all of you, this has been Back in the Field. 
Thanks so much for listening this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.